Amen. Let's read God's word together. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And we're going to read from verse 43. John chapter 4, verse 43. Let's hear the word of God, reading, of course, from the authorized version. John chapter 4, verse 43. The words will come up on the screen for all who are online. And if you've found the place, let's hear God's word. Now, after two days, he departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast. For they also went unto the feast. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible and inerrant word. Now my text tonight is found in John chapter 4 verses 47 through to 50. And my theme I've entitled The Healing of the Nobleman's Son. Now, after a great revival had broken out in Samaria, and I have no doubt aided by the testimony of the woman at the well and her invite to the men of the city, come and see a man that told me all that ever I did. And you can read about it there in John 4 and verse 39. Listen to the words. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. Afterwards... We are told that when the Samaritan men were come to Christ, they urged him that he would stay with them for a time. He abode there for two days. Now, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ couldn't stay there indefinitely, and he left after that two-day time frame. And the Bible tells us, and he departed into Galilee. 
Verse 43, now after two days he departed thence and went into Galilee. And whenever he was in the province of Galilee, he traveled on until he came to that famous city called Cana of Galilee. Remember, this was where he performed his first miracle, changing the water into wine. And of course, that was a wonderful miracle. It revealed his deity and his power and his glory. Well, let me tell you that it was also here in Cana of Galilee that he performed his second miracle. And that's also recorded by the Apostle John. And that second miracle was the miraculous healing of the nobleman's son. And you can read about it here in John 4, especially 46, right through to verse 50. Now, think of this nobleman for a moment. He realizes and discovers that his son is at the point of death, that his life is hanging by a thread. He knows and discovers that Jesus Christ is his only hope. So he rushes the 20 miles from Capernaum where he lives to Cana of Galilee. It's about an eight-hour trip. He finds Christ. He doesn't yet know if his son is really alive. He has one thing in his mind, getting Jesus Christ to come to Capernaum as quickly as possible and heal his son. What a shock for this man when he discovers that the Lord Jesus Christ is not going to do as he asked. There was worse yet to come. The words of Christ almost are like a rebuke to his plea for help. How can this be? The Lord Jesus Christ it appears, responds harshly to a broken-hearted father who is only desiring to save his son's life. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said unto him. Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. Now this father, amazingly, was not deterred or put off. Look at verse 50. We read there. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. Six words. Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed that word. And the man went his way. And as he neared home, the servants met him. They told him the good news. Thy son liveth. He inquired when and at what hour. He was informed yesterday about the seventh hour of the day. And what do we read in verse 53? Look again at the scriptures. It's important. So the father knew that it was the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. Now this is a tremendous miracle. This is a wonderful text of scripture, and it's full of lessons for us tonight. And that's what I want us to think about. Lessons from the healing of the nobleman's son. I want you to think of the problem that he faced. Look at verse 46. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Notice a certain nobleman. We're not told his name, so we can't speculate or adopt the 
process of conjecture. The Holy Spirit has chosen not to reveal his identity. But what we discover about this certain nobleman is this, that he has a son who's sick at Capernaum. And that son who's sick at Capernaum is at the point of death. Listen to what he says in verse 49 to Christ. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. Something has happened in the boy's life. The boy's sick. The boy's near the point of death. So we could really say tonight that this was a deep-seated personal tragedy that the nobleman felt, along with his wife and family. And what can we learn? Surely we could learn this, that a great position and station in life, even wealth, is no safeguard against trouble. I've told you often, first time I heard the late Pastor Willie Mullen preached was in Coleraine Town Hall, and his tax was Nahum 1 and 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and knoweth all that trusteth in him. He, he testified, a day of trouble comes to us all. Did you know that the word nobleman here means a king's man? This individual, whoever he was, was an officer in the royal court. He was a, a palace official. He, he was a royal attendant. You think of his rank. You think of his riches. And yet his rank and riches didn't prevent him facing his own personal crisis. Because his son is at the point of death. You see, this man has his sorrows. This man has his troubles, like all the rest. The day of trouble has come. Remember Solomon said in Proverbs 22 and 2, the rich and poor meet together. And where do they meet together? But the day of trouble. There's no such thing as a trouble-free life. And maybe tonight you're facing a sorrow and a crisis right now in your own life. Maybe you're facing the death of a loved one. Maybe it's a particular illness, some sort of bad news, some sort of difficult and strange calamity, and you feel your life is torn apart, and you feel that you're being eaten away at from the inside out, and your head's in a marley, and, and you're scrambling uh, for sense of it all. You see, this is where the nobleman was at. His son was at the point of death. A fever has taken him. See, some young people imagine if they were only rich, if they were only related, say, to the royal family, members of the royal family, they would have a real happy life. They would have an easy life. They would have a trouble-free life. It's not true, young people. If I was to point tonight to the stories in the Bible, the rich farmer in Luke 12, he was called a fool by Christ. What about the rich householder in Luke 16 who had a big estate and gates and the beggar led his gate and the Bible says and the rich man died and was buried and in hell lifted up his eyes being in torment? What about the rich young ruler who was sad and went away at that saying of Christ when he was told to sell all that he had and come and follow him? You see, you wouldn't want to swap places with any of these rich men. Neither the fool, the farmer, the householder or the rich young ruler. Why? Because they had one thing in common, and it was this. They were all without Christ. And they died as they lived without Christ. And I want to tell you tonight, having Christ is more important. And having Christ is far better. 
Remember what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. The only riches and rank that you should aspire to is to be rich toward God and ranked among the people of God on earth. I'll tell you something else. This noble man we read had a son at the point of death. Isn't that what the Bible tells us here? It says in verse 47, when he heard that Jesus would come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. You see, the noble man realized his son's condition. He went on to say in verse 49, Sir, come down ere my child dies. This son is a child. In other words, a little child, a boy. He's not a, a, a big grown son. He's not an adult son. And the father feared that the sickness would take him away in death at a tender age. Do you know tonight that parents can bury their children? The first death that's recorded in the Bible, was it not the death of a young man by the name of Abel? Father and mother were Adam and Eve, murdered by his brother called Cain. Did David not have children that died before him? Think of the death of the child between David and Bathsheba. Think of the death of David's son Absalom. He was heartbroken. Think of the death of David's other son, Ab Amnon. Did Job not have ten children that died before him? You see, young people never think and imagine. They forget this in life's journey. There's a step between me and death. The Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for no man knoweth what a day may bring forth. Not one of us knows what tomorrow will bring. And young people never think, it could be me. It was the late Matthew Arnold that left that little thought in all our heads. Live every day as if it's your last. Live life to the full, but be ready to go. This man discovered something else in the problem that he faced. Jesus Christ is the only one who can meet the need of families and individuals. Isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus Christ is interested in people? He has grace. He has mercy to meet our need. You see, here he is in Cana of Galilee. Why is he there? I believe he's there deliberately, providentially, because there's a family in great need 20 miles away. And he's a very personal, he's a very practical, he's approachable savior. He's able and willing. He's a powerful savior. He, he alone has power to meet the need. And the man realized he needed Jesus Christ. You see, the noble man had no hope in himself. He discovered that Jesus Christ is his only hope. He's thinking of his child, my special child. Did he love him? Yes. Was he broken inside? Yes. Was he fearful? Yes. What must he do? Get the Christ, find the Savior. Seek him to come in grace and in mercy and grant healing and help to the family. 
See, this nobleman could avoid poverty because he's rich. This nobleman had power over his servants. He could say to this one, go here, go there, do this and do that. But he couldn't avoid his problem. He couldn't look inside his heart to solve his problem. The only one could help him was Christ, so he turned to Christ. He looked to Christ for help. Looked to Christ for the solving of his problem. You see, this wasn't a crisis in his employment. This wasn't a, a political problem. It was not about money or about finance. It wasn't a problem in the royal court. The man's son was at the point of death. And he wasn't sure of the next hour. He wasn't even sure of the next minute. This was a dreadful burden. I'm sure you'll agree. This was a terrible affliction. The noble man with all his privileges, with all his position, with all his power, with all his prosperity. He realized that only Jesus Christ can help. That's the first thing. The problem that he faced. I want you to think secondly of the plea that he offered. If you look at the text in verse 46, it says, Jesus came again unto Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine, and there was a certain noble man whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus would come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he's at the point of death. You see, this man did a number of things. He considered Christ. It says, when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him. He thought about who Jesus Christ really is and what he's done. We'll come back to that. Not only did he consider Christ, but the man come to Christ where he was. Now, where did the man live? In Capernaum. Where was Jesus? Cana of Galilee. The man was willing to travel. He traveled a 20-mile distance. Distance was no object. Why? The love for his son was constraining him. And I'm sure there's not one parent here who would not do the same. And in considering Christ and coming to him, the man cried to Christ. Look at verse 47. And besought him that he would come down and heal his son. He made a decision. He got directly to Christ. Not the apostles. Not to Mary. Directly to him. You see the word besought here, it means a strong desire. He's pleading with the Lord. The man's in dead earnest. He sought the Lord on behalf of his son. And let me just share something with you. In the Bible, you'll read of four occasions where parents sought the Lord Jesus Christ for the saving and the well-being of their children. How do I know that? Over there in Mark chapter 7, and in the verse 26, you've got the Syrophoenician woman. And we read there, the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation. And she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. Mark chapter 5, verse 22 and 26, you've got the healing of Jairus' daughter. It says, and behold, there cometh one out of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, when he saw him, he fell at his feet, verse 23, and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed and she may live. And over there in Matthew chapter 17, and in the verse 15, 
We read this of a father, Lord of mercy in my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed, for oftentimes he falleth into the fire and often into the water. And here in John chapter 4 and in the verse 47, here's another father and he's pleading with Christ in behalf of his son. Isn't that interesting? Parents of two sons and parents of two daughters all seeking the Lord for their children. It's an interesting fact that there's no record of children praying for their parents. Four parents praying directly to Christ, pleading with him, focusing on the need of their children. And you know what? The Lord Jesus answered that prayer and those prayers. There's a story told of a boy who was in his early 20s. He was out on a Friday night. He was out on Saturday night. He was out with, we'll say, his no good friends, drinks involved, party scene, girls. And one particular Friday night when he was going out with his boys, his mum said to him, Son, no matter what you're doing at 11 p.m., no matter where you're at, or who you're with, just remember this as you leave. Dad and I will be praying for you by the fireside. And we'll be asking the Lord to save you and to keep you safe. The young fellow went on out. He's enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. And you know, as the clock struck, he began to count the strikes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. And as it struck the eleventh hour, in his head, he could picture mum and dad at the fireside, reading the Bible, and offering prayer, and mentioning his name. And he could almost see his mother and hear her in his head, pleading, Lord, save my boy. It touched his heart. He was moved by the Holy Spirit. He left his no good friends. And he went home. He'd get in just before midnight. Mum and dad was just about to get into bed and he spoke to mum. And said, mum, my heart's not right. Mum, I want to get saved. And that night, that family, just the one son, mum and dad, got down on their knees to bedside with him and led him to Christ. And you know, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ... He's a new creature and all things have passed away and all things have become new and all things are of God. And I want to say to the young people in this church, no matter where you are, no matter whose company you're in, no matter what you're doing in life's journey, we believe in the power of prayer to change things. And God can hear those prayers and God can answer. God is sovereign in salvation. And we pray for the salvation of lost souls and pray for the salvation and the restoration of those who are cold and backslidden. That's the plea that he offered. Come down and heal my son. Notice, lastly, the principle that he adopted. If you look with me at verse 50, it says this, Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. Six words. Go thy way, thy son liveth. Verse 50, And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. 
You see, the principle he adopted was faith, forsaking all I trust him. There was something he recognized. Despite being a noble man, he had no ability to help or heal his son. As I've told you, verse 51, the man had servants under him. The man moved in royal circles. The man had great authority as a royal official. Just had to click his fingers and this and that was done. But yet when his son was at the point of death, he himself had no ability. He was powerless to help. And all he could do was consider Christ. All he could do was come to Christ to where Christ was. All he could do was cry to Christ, come and heal my son. Why did he consider Christ? Why did he come? Why did he cry to Christ? The answer is this. He has faith in Christ. He has faith in Christ's power and ability. He has faith in Christ's grace and mercy. Where is he? He's in Cana of Galilee. Is not where the first miracle took place. It says here in our reading, I trust that you picked it up in the reading. It says, so Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine. In John chapter 2 and verse 11, we read these words. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifest forth his glory and his disciples believed in him. Where had he just come from? He had come, of course, from the feast in Jerusalem. And we read there in John chapter 2 and in the verse 23, now when he was at Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. He had come from Samaria where a great revival had broken out. And what do we read about the men in Samaria? John chapter 4 and verse 39. It says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him for the saying of the woman which he testified. He told me all that ever I did. Verse 41, And many more believed because of his own word and said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Do you see the key that connects them? The miracle, Cana of Galilee, it was believed. Many other miracles in Jerusalem, they were believed. The men of Samaria, they believed. In other words, it was faith in Christ. That's the key. Oh, that we could rediscover that. This is what he recognized. He wasn't trusting himself. You see, if you're not trusting the Savior tonight, you're trusting in yourself. And how many tonight in Northern Ireland are trusting in themselves? Or trusting in their church, their pastor, or their priest, their church attendance, their works religion, their honesty, their sincerity, their almsgiving, their prayers, their morality. But that's not true faith. People say, but I've got my faith. What does that mean? I've got religion. I've got church. I've got honesty. I've got, I've got um, works religion. But it's not true faith in Christ. What is true faith in Christ? Let me quote our catechism. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. Jesus Christ is the true and only object of faith. Faith is the gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace he is saved through faith, not, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And it's the object of faith that determines its true value. Listen to these words in Jeremiah 17 and 5. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, 
and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Verse 7, here's the contrast. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. Those that are trusting in self are under a curse. Those who are trusting in the Savior, they're truly blessed. So I ask the question, who or what are you trusting in? This man had something to recognize. This man had something to realize. There's such a thing as the operation of faith. We could speak tonight, as we've done on past nights, of the essence, the elements, and the evidence of true faith here. And it's all bound up in his consideration of Christ. He heard. Isn't that what we read here in this text, in John chapter 4, when he heard that Jesus was come? He heard of Christ's faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. There was a coming to Christ, because it tells us in the text here, he went unto him. John 6 and 37 says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You see, true faith leads a man to seek out Christ. He, Christ was 20 miles away. He lived in Capernaum. But this was faith in action. And there was a crying to Christ, a calling. Romans 10, 13, Whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. He besought him. You see, this was real true faith. This was not a vague, hazy, misky kind of, of a principle. This was a life-changing, soul-transforming principle. This was more than just a mere head knowledge. This was more than just mere assent to truthful propositions. It included assent to truthful propositions about Christ. But that assent is a mere component of true faith. It's the first step in true faith. That This man... Because he heard, he believed. But he now had to act upon that belief. And he turned himself and trusted himself to the Lord and to his word. You see, he's a seeking man with a seeking heart. And true faith deals with Christ personally. There's also a clinging to Christ. Come down and heal my son. He says in verse 49, Sir, come down ere my child die. See, I believe this, that this man's faith was weak. He asked Christ to come down without realizing that all Christ had to do was speak the word. He felt that Christ must come down, must make the journey 20 miles from Cana to Capernaum, an eight-hour travel. In other words, he wanted a physical sign. He wanted a physical element to the healing, and the Lord gently rebuked him. See, the Lord knew what was going on in his head and in his heart. He knew what he was thinking. You see, the Lord Jesus understood what was in the man's head and heart. He said, except you receive signs and wonders, you will not believe. It was a rebuke. But the man wasn't put off. The man accepted that rebuke. And then he went on to say, sir, come down ere my child dies. His faith wasn't perfect. His faith was full of weakness and imperfection. But when he heard these six words, go thy way, thy son liveth, the man believed. And what a personal word it was. It was a word that was wrought in his heart. It was a powerful word wrought by the, the, the power of the word, the Lord said. It was the word that brought life. 
It was a precious word, thy son liveth. I don't need to go to Capernaum. Your son's alive and well, go your way. And the man's burden gave way to blessing. And he went his way. You see, he believed in the power of that word. And there was a confession, even of Christ, whenever he got home. I finished. There was something to rejoice in. You've got to think of the man's assurance. The man was blessed. He had a joy in his heart. He heard the saying, Thy son liveth. He believed that word. You see, there was the outcome of faith. His son's illness not only brought healing to the boy, but it brought the family to Christ. There was a word of salvation. The man himself believed in Christ. The man's household believed in Christ. Not only did the man believe the word of Christ himself, but the man shared that word with others. Wasn't that proof that he was saved? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart, thou shalt be saved. For with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What a tremendous truth there. Here's the action he showed. He got home. He pointed the family to Christ. He was like Joshua, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. And I say to you tonight, here's the principle he adopted. He recognized something. The man believed the word. This man realized something. I need to put faith into action. And this man rejoiced in something. And I say to you tonight, who or what are we rejoicing in? Have we got that same assurance? Have we a display of that simple childlike faith to believe the word of Christ? Go thy way, thy son liveth. Do we believe in Christ? To the saving of our soul along with our house. There must be a consideration of Christ. There has to be a coming. There has to be a crying. There has to be a clinging to Christ. There has to be a confession of Christ. That's all bound up in the elements of faith. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you.